1: Welcome to the Hang Time Podcast. My name is John Schumann. I'm in Toronto right now. The reason you're hearing my voice first is because my man Seku Smith is out getting healthy. There's a no timetable right now for his return to uh, podcasting activities, but we hope to have him back soon. I have my man Sean Powell in Portland uh, right now, covering the Warriors Blazers series. Like I said, I'm in Toronto covering Bucks Raptors, where the Raptors. Stayed alive essentially Sunday night with a double overtime one eighteen to one twelve victory. Sean, we'll get to your series in a second. Uh, we'll also <laughs> address these uh, Magic Johnson comments on ESPN this morning a little bit. But first, uh, we're going to talk about the Raptors' double overtime win uh, Sunday night, uh, making it a two one series. I think uh, the Bucks still in control here. Still look like the favorite. But Toronto, you know, has kept its season alive behind a huge effort from Kawhi Leonard. He had 36-9, five assists, and then just, I mean, it was a really a, just a, a brilliant two-way performance. The big adjustment for the Raptors down to nothing was, was switching the defensive assignments, putting Leonard on Giannis Antetokounmpo. That helped keep Ansticumpo, uh I believe to just 12 points I know he had only 10 points in the paint um, it was one of his lowest outputs in regard to points in the paint of the season uh, guarding him is a five-man job but Leonard obviously helped there and then the Raptors got a little bit more offense from Marcus uh Pascal Siakam's best game of the series. Danny Green and Fred Van Vliet managed to shoot two for 20 combined, but hit two big shots each, one in, uh, in the fourth quarter, one in overtime. Sean, did you uh, check out this game? What was, your, what was your initial thoughts? Is it a sign of life for Toronto or just uh, uh, delaying the inevitable?
0: Probably a little bit of both, actually, and I'm I'm glad you brought up Kawhi Leonard's uh, two-way performance. You know what's really remarkable about that is he only had two fouls, and when you're having to stress yourself out trying to contain Giannis, and yeah, he wasn't guarding him straight up for a whole game, but obviously putting his mitts on him enough uh, to play that high-level defense. And not really not really foul, not really get too physical, not really make the referee suspicious. Because you if you look at Giannis, his game is driving to the paint, making that pivot turn. And you know, when he does that, you know, he's more likely than not just gonna make contact with a lot of bodies. He's getting the superstar calls now because he's a superstar. And uh I thought yeah, I, I thought Kawhi did a good job, obviously on the offensive end. And the more remarkable about Kawhi on the office event is uh, until this year, actually until these playoffs, he's never been a volume shooter. He was never a volume shooter in San Antonio. Um, he played in that system. You know, he was a guy who had a respectable scoring average, but that was with, what, about 15 to maybe 17 shots right around there. And he's had to reinvent himself a little bit uh, in Toronto, particularly in the playoffs, because he's really the only one coming in with any kind of substantial playoff experience as a starter, you know, as a star. And I thought the Raptors leaned too heavily on him offensively. I mean, with him taking 25-ish shots, things like that, I I thought eventually they would take its toll. uh, Because some players just aren't volume shooters. But he has embraced that role uh, as best he he can, uh, has played well, uh, I do. I am fearful, though. Uh, I would like to see. Florida won't inspire a lot of confidence in me in this series until I see one of his teammates, either Kyle Lowry or, or Siakam, kind of challenge him for that scoring lead. You Just get, give him that balance. Too often, I'm watching them, and it's a lot of iso on Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, the Bucks are trapping him, forcing him to give up the ball. Uh, when he does that, I would like to see Siakam or Lowry make him pay a little bit more. They defer an awful lot to Kawhi, and that's probably one reason why they're down two-one. But you know, again, there's enough time and theories rectified. And Marcus Law obviously gave him a big lift in Game Three.
1: Yeah, I think I think um, you know the Bucks defense deserves a lot of credit. I think they've taken a lot of what the Raptors want to do out. Um, there was one late game possession Sunday night where Miritich basically blew up the possession. The the Raptors were trying to get Siakam on a post up and Miritich just wouldn't let him get the ball. And then Toronto ended up getting, having to chuck up a shot with maybe one second left on the, on the shot clock. And there was a lot of that. I mean, on both ends of the floor where neither team could really get um, actions going towards the basket. And especially on the Toronto end, you ended up seeing they, they tried to post Leonard against Malcolm Brogdon couldn't get it to him in the post, so he had to just sort of just go back out to the perimeter and, and take a handoff 25 feet, 30 feet from the basket and just play one-on-one. Um, it wasn't pretty, and the one-on-one stuff really didn't work. I think the difference in the game ended up being um, a couple of fast breaks off of uh, steals. Danny Green got one deflection, and then Leonard himself got one deflection. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon actually beat him to the to the ball, and then Leonard just snatched it away and got a second fast break dunk in that second overtime. And your point about him, you know, being a volume scorer is 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 valid, and and he's done it while maintaining his efficiency. I mean, he's second in the postseason in scoring at 32, only Durant's higher, and Leonard is third in true shooting percentage, which is you know measuring you know efficiency um, at the same time. So I mean, he's doing it, and he's doing it efficiently. Uh, is a great, fascinating stat. In this postseason, Leonard has six games of 35 or more points. That's as many games of 35 or more for the Raptors in the playoffs as DeMar DeRozan and Vince Carter combined. They each had three uh, games of 35 points in their playoff careers with Toronto. Kyle Lowry's second on the uh, list with five, but Leonard has six already in just one post-season. He was just uh, a force. I mean, it is, I mean, it's it's just, it's going to be a fascinating summer no matter what happens in this series with, with free agency with this guy. I think I've said it before on here is that this postseason just makes it clear that and as far as this free agency class, there's Kevin Durant and there's Kawhi Leonard and there's everybody else. They are just, uh, I think they are the two guys that can just turn uh, or change a franchise by themselves. Um, we're seeing at Toronto, we're seeing Toronto's load management program benefit uh, them. He played 52 minutes. He had never played more than 46 minutes in a game before in his career. And he played 52 and that was hobbled most of the way because in the first three minutes, he, he got a fast break layup and either injured his left leg on the, on the takeoff or on the landing, but he was hobbling down the floor um, after that and never seemed to be uh fully recovered from that uh all night but he played 52 they basically mirrored his mir- minutes i think there was a point in the fourth quarter where nick nurse wanted to buy him a rest um but then ondstekumpo was about to check back in and he said well i you know and he looked at leonard and leonard said i'll i'll stay and so basically he played 52 because they wanted him on the floor all the time with when ondstekumpo was out there and and then uh and and your point about him not fouling is great too because it seemed like everybody in that game was in foul trouble except for Kawhi Leonard. Antsoko fouled out uh early in the second overtime, Kyle Lowry fouled out, Norm Powell fouled out. And yeah, being able to defend like that without fouling is a is a huge and important skill. So, you know, we'll see what, what how the the rap both teams can recover from this one. I can be sure that uh, Kumpo is going to try to come out in game 4. Um, and have a much bigger game. It'll be another challenge for Toronto to defend them as well as they did in Game Three. Game Four is Tuesday at eight thirty Eastern on TNT. Sean, you got any sort of feeling going forward with this series?
0: Well, I would be a little surprised if Toronto won. Uh, not shocked, not shocked, uh, but a little surprised. Uh... Regarding Kawhi, uh, if, you, if, if you looked at his pattern during the regular season and his minutes restriction and how they kept him out, if this was a regular season, there's no way he would play next game. He might not even play the next two games. <laughs> give it away. <laughs> right. G- give, give him, number one, how many minutes he played in game three. But not only that, given how he landed after that dunk. And um, so he only has really less than 48 hours now to recover from that. And the next game he plays, it's going to be another intense game. It's not like, you know, they're they're playing the Sacramento Kings. He's going to have to play close to 40 minutes, high-level basketball on both ends, and it'll be interesting to see how his body holds up. Understand that not only did he not do that during the season, we're now in late May, and, um, you know, look, he looks physically fit from my standpoint, from my viewpoint, but I think his body will... Before we see the ultimate test, and just one other thing about the about the Raptors, you know, I was really surprised how Nick Nurse stuck with Gasol rather than going with Serge Ibaka in in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought that cost them in Game Two mm-hmm. because Marc Gasol couldn't get anything going, and I was like, where is Serge Ibaka? Yeah, uh, not that, not saying that Serge Ibaka is playing out of his mind or anything like that. Yeah.
1: Well, we would have him fine. if Gasol picked up one more foul. <laughs> yeah, well, I was really surprised that Nick Nurse
0: stuck with Marcus once again in Game Three. Now he was rewarded for that. But uh, you know, you know that'll uh, you know I'll be really interested to see how that goes. I still think uh, I agree with you. I still think the Bucks are in the driver's seat. How many times do we see Giannis have two straight games where he's not the best player on the floor? Um, you know, again, that percentage will be put to the test and, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, who obviously missed some games prior to this series, uh, you can see him starting to warm up and get a little bit more comfortable. Um, and maybe he has an, an even bigger impact for the Bucks in game four. It, it, there, there are a lot of, basically, there are a lot of storylines going in, uh, for this game four that will largely dictate who's going to win this series.
1: Yeah, the Bucs went almost the whole season without losing two in a row. Um, I think it was finally in, in March at some point when they finally lost two in a row for the first time. And back to Leonard's in- injury, we were all trying to figure out in the press room afterward which leg he hurt because we watched the, the initial play in the first few minutes where he got a fast break and looked like he was going to dunk it and ended up lo- laying it up. So maybe he, he hurt his leg on the way up because he sort of put in a finger roll. And he seemed to grab at his left leg. And then we were watching the, the huge lefty dunk in the second overtime. And he sort of landed awkwardly on his right leg at that point um, and grabbed at his right leg. And so we were wondering, like, maybe he injured both in that game. After the game, he was the last guy, you know, to talk to the media because he was getting treatment for a long time. And then like after every other Raptor had spoken, uh, we sort of peek in the back and we see him just getting in the cold tub. Like, so he had done all this treatment and like, it, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour after the game almost. And he was just getting in the cold tub and we were waiting for him to be done with that. So it was, uh, he took his time, you know, recovering after that game, uh, last night. So, uh, we will see going forward. Speaking of injuries in the series you're covering, the Warriors um, have survived the injury to Kevin Durant uh, to build a three-point, excuse me, 3-0 lead in that series. They came back from seventeen down in Game Two, from eighteen down in Game Three. Combined scores of those third the third quarters in those games was sixty-eight to thirty-seven, with Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson uh, combining for forty-one points in those third quarters. So outscoring the Blazers by themselves in those two third quarters, Sean. I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to say that the the Warriors are are better without Kevin Durant. But what do you think they've sort of found out about themselves in these in these three games uh, playing without KD?
0: Well, clearly, I think they're more motivated, uh, and dare I say, they're more woke uh, without Kevin Durant. Uh, there is a sense of urgency that hasn't always been apparent with this team uh, over the last couple regular seasons because, you know, if you're the Warriors and you have that much talent, I guess there's just a natural tendency to kind of coast a little bit, take a little vacation during the season, have some bad losses, have people wondering whether the sky's falling, all that stuff before you, you know, correct your world when the games truly count. Uh, I, I think that, Since Kevin Durant went out, not a single minute of that has seeped into their psyche, their preparation, their execution. So, no, they're not a better team, but I do think they're a more motivated team, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, I think you see that with Draymond Green, whenever he gets the ball and he's, he's relentlessly attacking. I mean, he attacks from every minute he's on the floor. That is a great sign. I think you see it in Steph Curry, who's you know he's he, there's probably a part of Steph that has a sense of satisfaction. You never really see his ego that much, but I bet his ego is really being fed here uh, because you know suddenly there's no question who's the uh, the top option anymore, and he's got to be feeling kind of frisky and young and nostalgic, and to you know in terms of how. The system ran before Kevin Durant when he, you know, when Steph won those two MVPs. And I think he gets to show the world that he is still that same player uh, when given uh, that much weight in the offense and in the system. Also, I think you see it with Clay uh, Thompson. You know, we always wonder, you know, what Clay would look like if you took him off the Warriors and say so you put him on the, uh, I don't know, the, the Charlotte Hornets or the Orlando Magic where, you know, he's the guy and I think he gets a bit a, a bit of satisfaction in that because there are times when he is the guy you know over these last uh what four games, and he he's he, he's coming off screens, and there's not just a green light there's a like flashing green light like clay get the ball shoot and I think he kind of likes that I think his again I think these guys are are trying to take advantage of Kevin Durant being out by producing their most aggressive basketball, not only the, not always their best basketball, because as you said, you know, they trailed by 17 points and 18 points last two games, but with some of their more aggressive basketball. And I think that's what you're seeing. I think you're seeing a collective uh, group play aggressive basketball without Kevin Durant. And let me just add one other thing. I think the unsung hero in this series is Steve Kerr. Uh, Huh. A couple things Steve's had to do. Number one, when you you know when you're without a player of Durant's magnitude, uh, you, you don't have a training camp to do it all over again. You have to basically tweak your system on the fly in the postseason to uh, sort of minimize Durant's loss. And what Steve Kerr has done is not only mix. Uh, his system, you know, t- tweak his system, but he's, he's got great confidence and, you know, guys like Quinn Cook and Jordan Bell, and, you know, uh, Alfonso McKinney, Jarebko. You know, he's pulling these guys off the bench and they're coming in. They're not shy. They're not nervous. They're, they're producing. I thought a telling uh, moment was uh, when Jordan Bell missed that dunk uh, in game three. And, you know, he just, you know, look, the world is watching him. He misses a breakaway dunk, comes over to the bench. Obviously, you know, he's confronted first by Draymond Green, who I thought would have a great leadership moment. You know, Draymond said, hey, man, just brush it off, you know. And then Steve Kerr, and then they come out of the timeout, and two bells going back in the game. And I thought a lot of people were shocked by that, that Steve Kerr would, you know, would, would keep him out of the game and make him think about it. No. And I think sometimes when players make a mistake, probably the worst thing you can do is not give them a chance to, you know, make up for the mistake by keeping them on the bench. And, and Steve Kerr put them right back in the game. And, you know, and then Jordan Bell, he makes a couple of good plays, and then he has another dunk attempt. And that was one of the, probably the most forceful dunks you're going to see in the NBA this season because he made sure he, that ball went through the roof. <laughs> so I, I, I just think Steve Kerr, I think everyone has raised their game, but I just don't want it to get lost. And in, in the brilliance of Steph Curry and Draymond Green, I just think Steve Kerr is just doing a very good coaching job and, and his staff too, obviously. I just think he's doing a very good coaching job here in the absence of Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah. And it helps that they have those two years of pre-Durant, you know, play to fall back on where they know, Hey, we can go, we can just play uh, Curry green pick and roll. Curry draws the extra defender, get it to Draymond and play four on three. You know They know that's a successful formula. It's it's certainly been a successful formula in this series. I was looking at the numbers, and I was kind of fascinated. I didn't realize this until I looked at it, that the Warriors are up 3-0, and the Blazers have outscored them 108 to 102 from three-point range. The Blazers have also outscored them uh, 64 to 56 on free throws. So basically Golden State has sort of destroyed them inside the arc. It's all been two point shots, a lot of layups, you know, as a as a, a product of that that pick and roll play. Um, um you know, a handful some mid-range too. But a bit, and and this is something I've said before. I, one of my favorite things about the Warriors is that they leverage their three-point shooting to get layups, and that Curry pick-and-roll is uh, Curry Green pick-and-roll is sort of an example of that, and how you know you draw all the attention to Curry, and then you use that you use that attention to get uh, a layup for either Green or maybe he rolls and then uh, tosses a lob to to the other big. Curry can do it himself, you know, uh, with just a little hesitation move, get somebody jumping and then, uh, get to the basket or maybe Clay Thompson comes off of a pin down and both defenders go to Thompson. And now the guy who sets the screen is open under the basket. So it, it's kind of fascinating. We think of them as, uh, this prolific three point shooting team, but they're getting outscored from three point range and they're up three, nothing. I think that says a lot about how terrific, how great this team is, not just as a shooting team, but as just a, open overall offensive execution. is kind of fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, and, and no question. I mean, yes, they can basically draw back on your experience without Kevin Durant, uh, even though I might say that, you know, again, that was, you know, a little bit more than two years ago. But uh, again, I just think that what we're seeing from this collective unit uh, has been, I'm not going to say it's been remarkable because, you know, they're probably supposed to be at this point with or with Kevin Durant. And the only remarkable Time that I saw was winning that game in Houston, in the closeout game, game six. Uh, I, I just thought that the Warriors put it all together in hostile environment, you know, turn back James Harden. But again, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, the here and the now with the Blazers. They're up 3 0. Um, I kind of expect them to close it out uh, tonight. I think that uh, they have the momentum. They know that they'll have. What, about eight, nine days rest if they do so? And that gives them a lot of time, uh, not only for the injured players to heal, but, you know, guys like Steph and Dre and, and Clay, who've been playing, slogging some heavy minutes. So, to me, it's a win-win situation for the Warriors in terms of motivation with, it, with uh, game four on the line.
1: Yeah, and in, in the same vein that, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not it shouldn't be uh, a surprise that they are where they are. I don't think it's it it's damning of the Blazers to to be where they are um down 3-0. You know, they've had a, a terrific season. You know, they're one of only four teams that's still playing. They beat two very good teams in the first two rounds. Um so I don't think there's any shame in what, you know, and where they are at this point. I think also I think it's just maybe a little bit disappointing um you know that Damian Lillard's shooting 33%, you know, in this series. Credit obviously the golden state defense for that, but maybe do you feel, do you feel like he's run out of gas a little bit um, at this point in the postseason?
0: I thought David began to run out of gas in the Denver series near the end of the Denver series. Remember that game seven, he he shot like three for 17 Uh, and, you know, credit CJ McCollum. Otherwise, you know, they were dead in the water and uh, he just hasn't looked like Dane. And, you know, I'm kind of curious with this whole rib situation and at the time when uh, when we saw Looney fall on him, I thought it was a lot more serious. Uh, because, but Dane continued to play, so I said, "Well, maybe it wasn't that serious." If he's going to be diagnosed with a separated rib or whatever it might be, he has to go to a team doctor to, for that to happen. If he goes to a team doctor and that's his diagnosis, then that should be on the injury report. And what what I'm kind of confused about is how is it that a player he obviously has to see a specialist there's no way he can just come up with himself with this injury why wasn't that reported as an injury and why is Terry Spots just finding out about it when everybody else finds out about it i'm kind of confused about that whole process uh how it was done why was that such a secret um there was no you know there's no transparency there And why weren't we, you know, why wasn't wasn't the public informed of this injury? Um, You know, look, be that as it may, I think clearly we can see that Dame is worn down uh, this time of the the year. I don't know how much of the injury is impacting him. He's out there playing, so I guess it's not that bad from that standpoint. It's not like he's unable to play. It's not like he's unable to shoot. Whether it impacts him, I mean, only he knows. But I just think that even before the injury, he wasn't playing well. And I, I, you you know, this is late in the season for him. He's had a brilliant year. I thought Uh, he might be, he's going to be first or second team all NBA. Uh, The takedown of Russell Westbrook at Oklahoma city was classic. Uh, And he did have a few really good games against uh, the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray. So I'm not going to, Try to paint him as having an unsuccessful postseason by any stretch. I mean, he's been very good, but this is a moment of truth. And 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 if you know Dame, you know he's a great guy, a great represent uh, representative, uh, and ambassador for the Blazers, and uh, and a very good player. But if you know Dame, he's insensitive about where people feel his place is in the NBA. If you can recall, he you know you know he has something to say about an all-star snub and, and not starting in the all-star game and, you know, whether, you know, he should be all NBA and things like that. Well, and maybe to a point he might've, you know, he he might've had some justification for that. But, you know, the one thing that separates the great players from the very good players is the postseason. That's where you really make your name. And you, you don't make your name just through one round, but you have to be consistently great through Every round. That's why it separates the good from the great. Look at Kawhi Leonard. Uh, look at Kevin Durant. Look at Steph Curry. All these players, they're able to sustain greatness throughout the playoffs. Uh, and Dame and right now, I think he's sort of like, you know, I think he's kind of wearing out a little bit. Possibly because of the load, he's had to play intense basketball against very good teams and very good competition. Russell Westbrook in the first round, Jamal, Jamal Murray in the second round, now Steph Curry now. I mean, those are three really good guards he's got to defend, okay, in addition to produce offensively, but I just think he's running out of gas, and 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 I think his pride is a little damaged here, because this is the moment he's been waiting for, particularly considering coming off last season, when he didn't play well at all, when the Blazers were swept by Drew Holiday and the Pelicans, and I thought he waited a whole year for redemption. And I think he has received that redemption because the Blazers are in the Western Conference Finals. I just think he wants, I think he wishes it could be different in this series when you know everybody's watching. It's against a two-time defending champion. And I think it really bugs him that he's not able to produce his best basketball.
1: Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I, I I think um, we can't get too caught up. I think, you know, there are 26 teams in this league that would love to be where the Blazers are. And there are a hundred guards in this league that would love to be where, uh, love to have had the postseason that Damian Lillard has had so far. I think he's definitely solidified himself as you know one of the best four or five guards in this league. You know we've been singing his praises on this podcast basically all season. You know one for for his play, but also two for his leadership, which you which you also spoke to. It, my one thing we've talked about the, the 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 you know the deficits of seventeen and eighteen. Um, the Warriors have played more close games in this postseason than they played in either of the last two. Are they In regard to eventually facing a tougher opponent in the finals, are the Warriors playing with fire a little bit? Um, are, they, are they playing well enough where you think they are the clear favorite in the finals, potentially facing the Bucs, maybe facing the Raptors?
0: I think we probably don't know the answer to that until we get more clarity on Durant for sure. And to a, a bit of a lesser extent, Demarcus Cousins. Uh, obviously, you would have more confidence with the Warriors if they go into that the NBA Finals with a healthy Durant. Uh, and then you think it's game over if if Demarcus Cousins plays, it's game over. Hmm. I, I just don't see how Milwaukee or Toronto could, you know, even last maybe six games. Really? Um, with, yeah, all right. With with a, with a fully stocked Warriors lineup? Oh no, that that no. Really? All I, right. I don't I don't think I don't think the finals would have much suspense at all. I'm not going to say right. that the games wouldn't be close, but I think that's the Warriors for sure. Now, if we're talking, Cousins doesn't play at all, and Durant is limited, then I think that you know suddenly you know some uncertainty is going to creep into that series. Um, you know, the Bucks play. Let's just take the. Let's assume that it's going to be the Bucs. Mm-hmm. They play very good defense. Under Bluthauser, uh, they're a good three-point shooting team, and they bring a superstar. Those are the three things that—that's uh, the recipe for a championship team. If you have those three elements in today's NBA, yes, it helps if you have an additional superstar. But Giannis is a make his teammates better type of player, so he tends to elevate his—you know—players who are merely pretty good. Sometimes they can be very good you know, next to Giannis. But again, the bucks it would be a first time for them, just like it's the first time in the Western Conference Finals for the Blazers. Uh, and suddenly when you put a team that's never been there before in that situation, it could work against them, particularly when you're talking about the massive championship experience that the Warriors bring. And the one thing we've seen also about the Warriors is they've fallen into these big first half holes, and they don't panic. They don't panic they have a firm sense of belief what if Milwaukee falls into a big hole would they have that sense of belief uh,
1: hey, in, hey, in that, the bucks are uh, four and two in this postseason uh, after trailing by double digits so I'll uh, but yes yeah. I agree that yeah you know, that the, the finals are another level Um it's, yes. it, it's, it's very difficult to pick against the Warriors um, uh, you know, the two-time defending champs until they actually lose, until you actually see them lose four games in a series. But hey, the Bucks have been the best team in the league from regular season, playoffs. They, you know, statistically, they've been head and shoulders above everybody else. I would, I'm, I, you know, we're not there yet, and I, I don't want to dismiss the Raptors. They have the ability to beat the Bucks on any given night. I think it's still be difficult for them to win, uh, you know, three of the next four, which they have to do but i i'm i'm i will be very excited about a Milwaukee Golden State finals uh with Milwaukee having home court advantage let's not forget uh i think it'll be fun but um before we get there before we finish this one off we have to uh address uh magic johnson going on ESPN uh this morning like, that's, first of all let's just say uh, game 4 for for uh warriors blazers with the 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 champs having the chance to uh make it five straight trips to the finals is 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN on uh, Monday night. Um, But let's talk magic for a second, Sean, you've been, you spent uh, a lot of time around that organization this season. Um, Basically uh, to sum up, uh, you know, uh, what magic said basically that, you know, Rob Blinka was going behind his back telling everybody that he wasn't in the office and that there were some other people around the organization that uh, sort of were talking behind his back. And, and you know, not everybody was on the same page, clearly. And that's part of why he left. He wanted to fire Luke Walton and, you know, didn't have the power that he thought he was going to have. Um, obviously, he didn't have the personal time that he wanted to have. Um, you know, he wasn't allowed to tweet things that he wanted to tweet. But it just... he. he <laughs> on the morning when Frank Vogel is supposed to be introduced as the new head coach um, with Rob Polinka there, he basically paints this picture of a completely dysfunctional organization, one where not everybody is on the same page, not everybody is sort of pulling in the same direction, where people are all looking out for themselves. Is this the sense that you got of this organization sort of all season long?
0: Yeah, and it, you know, it makes me wonder no, I don't even wonder about it. I know that we would not see this level of dysfunction if Dr. Jerry Buss was still alive and running the Lakers. Um, You know, you never really saw it. And if there was ever any kind of uh, turmoil, you know, that never really came out because there was such consistency with Dr. Buss and uh, Jerry West and then later Phil Jackson. Um, But, you know, look, I have to say that I'm a little disappointed in Magic Johnson because why air this? What, 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 what purpose does it serve? I I don't understand it. And and he professes love for the Lakers and he's still consulting,
1: right? Like he talks about it as a, we like, Hey, we hope to get some free agents this year. Like he still talks about it as he's, if he's part of the organization too.
0: Exactly. And if Jeannie Buss is like a sister to him and why I, I just, I, I just don't understand it. Why go on the show? Why go on a, on the attack? Why are you pulling the covers away from, you know, from the franchise so that everybody can look and see? It, it, it was it's, it's just about as dysfunctional as Magic's uh, when he resigned. Uh, it was just a weird, weird thing. And, uh, you know, look, Jerry Buss was a great owner, but I think he failed – to prepare his children to run this franchise. Um, I thought that, you know, with Jim and Jeannie, maybe they probably should have had a more prominent role a lot earlier to learn the tricks of the trade. Maybe they should have put their stamp on the franchise a lot earlier. Maybe made some, you know, maybe Dr. Bus could have let them make some big decisions. There should have been probably a better succession in place. now. Having said that, uh, I personally if, if I was Jeannie Bus and Magic you know, you know, resigned on me in a huff, uh, I would have called an old friend, I don't know if his friend anymore, but I would have called Jerry I would have called Jerry West. And I know that would have been a tough call because it was a bad breakup. Phil Jackson, basically Jeannie decided you know Phil Jackson instead of uh, Jerry West and that led to Jerry West beating the organization. but they, they still employed one of Jerry's sons. And so, uh, and Jerry West does have a statue in front, and it's not—he's not wearing a Clippers jersey, <laughs> and he's only a consultant with the Clippers. So, I would have called Jerry West, and and I would have just said, "Hey, Jerry, we need to set out on top, uh, because we—you know—we would like you to come back and be a consultant, and, and at least put someone in place for this organization if you don't want to lead it yourself." And I think Jerry West would have taken that call. Um, but again, they employ his site.
1: Or maybe Jerry West is too smart to get involved <laughs> with with well with all I mean, the other well, voices that are in the room. You know, with all the other voices that are trying to to have input uh, on decisions.
0: Well, then you don't. Then you then you silence the all the other voices and you tell yeah. Jerry West, you know, you're the guy. But anyway, that never happened. And so what we're left with is Rob Palenka, who really hasn't had any kind of extensive uh, experience in terms of personnel. Uh, we have a changing of the guard in terms of coach, although I think Frank Vogel is a pretty decent hire. He's, he's he's a pretty good coach. I don't know about the Jason Kidd dynamic. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that's really you know,
1: weird too. Yeah, yeah, that,
0: that's really, really, you can just see this. You know, sometimes a when a general manager signs a player to a contract and you know that as soon as they sign into that contract, it's a bad contract. <laughs> I look at this this arrangement with Jason Kidd. As soon as they said that this was going to happen, I know it's a bad situation. It's not going to end very well. Um, and, and of all the police people, we, there's one person we haven't talked about, and that's LeBron James and when his feelings about the madness that's swirling around him. Uh, I wonder if LeBron still would have come to L to the to the Lakers. Had he known this was going to happen, if he could look into a crystal ball and and could see this coming his way, maybe he still would have come to L.A., but maybe he would have gone to the Clippers instead.
1: Yeah, and I mean, hey, but the good thing for Lakers is LeBron's under contract for three more seasons. The question is about the players that aren't under contract there and whether a potential free agent is going to look at this situation and decide he doesn't want any part of it. Um, you know, success in this league starts from the from the top you know, the top of the organization down. And um, we've seen many examples of that um, where uh, dysfunctional ownership um, can, you know, ultimately leads to dysfunction on the basketball court. And so we will see going forward. I think, you know, it's funny how like you hear, oh, there's too many people trying to make decisions in that organization, yet they don't really have much of a basketball operations infrastructure. Like they don't have... Uh, if they have an analytics department, it's minimal, you know, with regard to the rest of the league. If they have a scouting department, it's not um, as robust as most teams. And it seems like, uh, you know, they just, they're not very organized and that uh, does not bode well. But all, you know, all it takes is one more, you know, one superstar free agent to sign on the dotted line this summer or, uh you know david griffin to agree to an anthony davis trade this summer for you know things to look a lot better in in la.
0: Yeah and, and again uh if you know the Lakers throughout the decades is pretty much a mom and pop organization uh and it re and I don't think they can I don't think they can move into the next era operating much the same. Yes, okay look they're the Lakers they're always going to be on the radar of the great players. Uh, LeBron James signed up. I, I, he's still in his prime, even though people think he slipped a bit. I don't think he slipped all that much. Uh, and they have a chance to add to the mix this summer. But even if they were to trade for Anthony Davis, they have to give up you know, some some pieces. And I'm not so sure that they would automatically be a title contender because we don't know what they would surround LeBron and Anthony Davis with. Uh, but, you know, that's a discussion that we'll probably have this summer when we get some clarity, just in terms of the draft and free agency and trades and things like that. But the here and the now, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a franchise that's on shaky ground. Um, and, and I never thought I would say that about a franchise that employs LeBron James. But yeah. it's a franchise that's, that's on shaky ground and we really need to see how they're going to make it out of the summer to really get a good feeling about where they're headed starting next season.
1: Yeah, I mean and it gives great ammunition for 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 Griff in New Orleans. He can talk to Anthony Davis say, "Hey, 2 years from now, do you want to be playing with um a 36 37 year old LeBron James in that organization or do you want to be playing with um you know, a uh, 21 22 year old uh, Zion Williamson here, you know, and, and, drew holiday, who will be maybe 30 at the time. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, he can, he can sort of start to paint a, a better picture in new Orleans, given, um, both, you know, the fact that they won the lottery, uh, given LeBron's age and given the Lakers, uh, dysfunction. But like you said, we will talk more about that. Uh, I'm sure in the several weeks in the next several weeks leading up to the draft and free agency, that's it for this episode. Um, we'll be back later in the week, probably Thursday, with another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. Um, follow all our playoffs coverage on NBA TV and NBA.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, don't forget to leave a review. See you next time.